Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. This is Snowman in the Morning and it begins now. I ask myself, is it worth it? I answer myself, yes, yes, it is worth it. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Hello, baby. Did you not get the memo? Are you kidding me? Good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Thursday edition. Of Snowman in the Morning, we are presented by Cleaver Supplements. Pure supplements for when genetics are just not enough. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram using the ID SITMorning. Okay. I know I said I would talk some hockey on today's show. And that was my intent. But... To be very honest, I have not paid attention like I should, and it's my own fault. Had some things going on, and I've paid attention some, but not enough. Not enough to be well-versed into who could do what. So I'm going to do some quick research, and I will come back with my hockey talk tomorrow. But I'm going to start with this. I did NBA yesterday. I'm going to do it again today. Coming into last night's contest, Russell Westbrook needed 16 rebounds to average a triple-double for a second straight year. And somehow, someway... It happened. So he averaged a triple-double for a second straight year. Congratulations, Russell Westbrook. Now, I have some questions. Is that all? Let me start with this. Is that all OKC is about? Getting Russell Westbrook to average a triple-double on the season? And, yes, I'm on on location this morning. Is, Is that the whole thing? For Oklahoma City, because I thought the team concept was to win championships. And I said championships, plural. I I thought that the goal of a team was to win a title. It just appears to me that Oklahoma City is more hell-bent on getting Russell average a triple than telling Russell Westbrook... You need to find some way to get better. Make your teammates better. Westbrook is not a player. I've said that for a long Russell Westbrook is washed up. I'm going to piss off a lot of people this morning, but I really don't care. I don't care. This is why I say what I say about Russell Westbrook. 
Go back to the season where Kevin Durant, who was a member of Oklahoma City at the time, was injured. Y'all remember that? And it became Russell Westbrook's team. He didn't have Kevin Durant running with him. I'll go back even further than that. Go back to the 2012 NBA Finals where OKC got smoked by Miami. That's where the decline of Oklahoma City began, in my opinion. After being on such a high, eliminating the San Antonio Spurs in the Western Conference Finals, they do this and lost in five games to LeBron James and the Miami Heat. And I was pulling for Oklahoma City to do that because I simply don't like LeBron. Y'all know how I feel about LeBron. But be that as it may, be that as it may, it was then where I realized, and the subsequent actions after that, it was then where I realized that the Oklahoma City Thunder will never again compete for a championship because they don't want to. Russell Westbrook does not want to compete for a championship. He wants to fill up the stat sheet, show off his moves every night, and I get it. I get it. You have moves to show off. He's a flashy point guard. But what happened to being charged with the role of making your teammates better? What happened to being charged with the role of leading your team or helping to lead your team to the ultimate goal, which is an NBA championship? Russell Westbrook is not that person to do that. He really isn't. You can put up all the triple-doubles that you want. You can average a triple-double throughout the season if you want. But where is that swagger that comes with being a leader when the lights are on in the postseason. Now, people are going to argue with me, well, if it wasn't for Westbrook, Oklahoma City wouldn't have gotten to the playoffs last year. All right, I'll give you that to a point. But what happened after that? What happened after that? Houston stomped a mud hole in their ass and walked it dry. That's what happened. They showed how much of a one-dimensional team the Oklahoma City Thunder is. And they're still very much a one-dimensional team, even with Paul George, who is not staying after this year, even with Carmelo Anthony, who is not staying after this year, even with Steven Adams, who I don't think will stay after this year, There is no way you can expect Oklahoma City to contend for a title if they don't have the attitude or the wherewithal to believe that they can. Do you know how long it took them to get their act together this year? Do you know how long it took them to get the act together? And I know people are going to point out, well, they beat Golden, well, they, they beat Golden State twice. Yeah, whoopty frickin' do. I said it yesterday, until you beat the Warriors in a seven-game series, shut up. Just shut up. Because you haven't proven anything. And if there was ever a time the Oklahoma City had a chance to prove themselves to be worthy contenders for a championship, it was two years ago. 
when they had the defending champion Golden State Warriors on the ropes, they annihilated the Warriors in two straight games in Oklahoma City. They had the Western Conference title in their hands, and they said, you know what? We don't want it. And they handed it right back to, actually, they didn't hand it to Golden State. Golden State took it. They were a little pissed off being down three games to one. They were a little pissed off. And here's the point. Here, Here's another couple of points. As I mentioned, Oklahoma City had Golden State by the throat. And by the throat. And the way they had him by the throat, they came back from 14 down. This is a Russell Westbrook-led team that had Kevin Durant on it. They came back from 14 down and beat the Warriors at Oracle Arena. 108-102. to Now the Warriors came back and smacked them around 118-91 in Game 2. But you had a sense there was a possible changing of the guard in that series. Why am I going through this series? Because this was the best chance, I believe, for Oklahoma City to establish themselves as a Western Conference power. They had Golden State by the throat. Russell Westbrook could have established himself as one of the best point guards in the league and didn't do it. 133-105, to 118-94 were the next two games. And Oklahoma City let their foot off the throttle. Russell Westbrook let his foot off the throttle. So if there was ever someone to blame for Oklahoma City's non-success in the playoffs, it's Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is the blame, and I believe should be the blame until he finds it within himself to take his team to a championship. Don't ever compare Russell Westbrook to Stephen Curry ever again. He's not even in that conversation. Why am I tearing Russell Westbrook up? Because I'm so sick and tired of a player like Westbrook, a me-only player, being hyped up. Never said he didn't have skills, because he does. Never said he wasn't talented, because he is. Never said that he is a he is not a good player. I just said he wasn't a good teammate. And if I said he wasn't a good player, let me correct my sentence right now, because I may have spat that out earlier in this segment. Westbrook's not a good team player. Again, I go back to 2016. Russell Westbrook and the Thunder had Golden State by the throat. And they let him loose. So that's on them. That's on Westbrook. That's why Durant left, to be perfectly honest. Durant wanted to get the hell out of Oklahoma City. So the Warriors win game five, 120 to 111. They win game six in an epic comeback, 108 to 101, and then hold the Thunder to 88 points in game seven. 88. 88. This is with Westbrook and with Durant. 88 points. Why didn't Russell Westbrook come through in the fourth quarter? I know Westbrook all the time wants to go 100 miles an hour. I know that. But by the time Game 5 showed up, Westbrook and company were gassed. 
Westbrook was absolutely gassed, and it's going to be the same thing. This it's the same thing. It was the same thing last year in the playoffs, and it's going to be the exact same thing this year. Westbrook got his triple double average for the season, but he's going to be so gassed by the time this first round series is up. that he will not have enough energy to bring Oklahoma City out of the first round. So until Westbrook finds a smarter way to play, listen to my words now, unless, until Russell Westbrook finds a smarter way to play, he'll never get out of the first round again. Oklahoma City will always be hovering at 47 and 35 or 48 and 34. And the first round will be their demise. The first round will be their demise. Until Westbrook gets it in his mind. Until Westbrook gets it in his mind that I have to make a couple of sacrifices for my teammates to bring us to the promised land. And you know what's really bad? Since 2012, you know who went you know who left Oklahoma City? James Harden left, Scott Brooks left, Kevin Durant left, Serge Ibaka left. You had a dynasty right there in the making. And Westbrook ran them all out. Now, could I be totally wrong about my statement? Sure. But this is my opinion. Westbrook ran them all out of town because he wanted to put together his team. He wanted to be his team when it should just be a team anyway. They had the pieces in place in 2012 to create what the Warriors have created. That's a small dynasty. But for those of you who think Russell Westbrook is on par with Stephen Curry and should be the MVP this year, don't kid yourself. Don't make me laugh. Westbrook should not be the MVP this year. And he should not have been the MVP last year. Let me give you a little definition that a friend of mine told me about what an assist should be. An assist is a pass that leads directly to a basket. The last two seasons that Westbrook has averaged a triple-double, some of his assists did not directly lead to baskets and should not have been counted as such. Now, I already know I'm going to get some clap back on this, but I really don't care. This is how I feel. This is one man's opinion. Keep keep that in mind, please. This is one man's opinion. Why do you think that Russell Westbrook should be the MVP again this year? Or, let me put this in the form of a segment question. Should Russell Westbrook be the MVP again this year? My answer is no. And everything has been explained within. This is Snowman in the Morning, where true sports talk lives. That's what? Are you kidding me? You know what? Yeah.
Mm -hmm. I'm the juggernaut, bitch! I have to accept something, which I don't want to accept, but I have to. And what I have to accept about one of my beloved teams, the Chicago White Sox, that it's going to be a long, 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 long season. But I proceed into this segment knowing it's going to be a long, 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 long season for my beloved White Sox, knowing that these kids are playing hard every day they're on the field. Now, some of the problems with the White Sox, their bullpen, they surrendered a lead to the Detroit Tigers in a game that the Tigers won in 10 innings, 9-7. to seven. They don't have their rotation set in place yet. They don't know who the closer is going to be. Just a lot of unanswered questions for the White Sox as far as their pitching goes. But there is so there are so many reasons for optimism. With the White Sox. And the one fellow who's going to spear the charge, or who has speared the charge, is Matt Davidson. I saw something in this kid last year when he had back-to-back games where he had the walk-off hit, the the game-winning hit. He had a walk-off home run against... uh, against Cleveland, and then capped a comeback against Toronto with a walk-off single to center field. This year, he leads the American League with five home runs. And I know he's going to have, I, I believe he's going to have an excess of 30 home runs. Him, Abreu, Moncada, I believe they're all going to have in excess of 30 home runs. Just the pitching has to get together for the White Sox. It's just the pitching. I know this is going to be a 90 loss season. I hope it's not. I hope it's like 82 and 80 or something to that nature. But these young kids... I know are going to take their lumps. But the future is so bright for these White Sox. It's going to take them a while. The Cubs had to go through it. The Mets had to go through it. The Royals had to go through it. You know, and I hated to see the White Sox trade Chris Sale, but it's a it's it's a sign that the locker room culture is changing. You don't want me first players like I spoke about in my NBA segment. You don't want that. You don't want you you you, you don't want that. You know what's scary though? How good this team, especially offensively, can be. I already mentioned I already mentioned Davidson. Well, the White Sox have to go to uh Minnesota to begin a four-game series. 
Davidson, Abreu, Moncada. They're going to be the three-headed monster. That leads the Yomer Sanchez, another one. They're going to be the they're going to be the monsters that lead this team, and it's going to I believe be on the shoulders of Davidson. It was on the shoulders of Abreu for a while, who had a breakout rookie year, and Davidson's going to have that kind of year. He's got, uh, like I said, he's got five home runs right now. He hit the game winner yesterday. Could he be the guy? That's going to be that that late inning that late inning hitter. He could be. Now here's another problem with the White Sox that I've seen over the first part of the year. And my friend Michael Green, who has in, who does inside the green room with me, pointed this out. Situational hitting. To say that it's been a bugaboo for the White Sox would be a very gross understatement. There, uh, there have been so many times. There's been so many times that the White Sox have had the bases loaded. There have been a couple of times they've had the bases loaded and no outs, and could not score. That has to improve. With all of this, it's going to take time. I know it's going to take time. The White Sox fans have to be have to be patient. I'm one of them that has to be patient. But as the season goes, something may light a fire under these kids. Something may definitely light a fire under these kids. The pitching just needs to get there. The pitching just needs to get there. And I believe they're going to be fine. This is Snowman in the Morning, where true sports talk lives. Hello, baby. Every so often, I am handed... An opportunity to talk to somebody that was on the precipice of greatness, but got thwarted in an unfair fashion. Ladies and gentlemen, I have that opportunity right now. I met these two while I was down in Milton, Tennessee covering baseball for a new league that is set to premiere in the spring. But when I talked to them and heard their story, and they came to me and they said, Snowman, and I said, what up? They said, we got a story for you, and you need to be the one to break it. Here it is. On the hotline with me right now are two gentlemen, one of which is trying his best to make his Major League Baseball dream happen, and the other's the proud papa of said major leaguer. I want y'all to help me welcome Jordan Drake and his father, Earl Drake. They are both on the line with me right now because we're going to break something that's never been broken on Snowman in the Morning. How are you, gentlemen? 
Hey, fine, Mr. Snowman. Thank you for having us. JD, hey, how are you? Snowman. Snowman's doing, I'm doing good. good, man. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. JD, you had a shot and was in the Major League Baseball system. But as you guys told me, and we talked the entire time that we were in Tennessee, that came to a sudden screeching halt. And I am not sure why you were, for lack of a better term, exiled from reaching your dream in the majors. I want you to tell me your story. Okay, Snowman. So, you know, just from the little bit of what you know about me and the people don't really know, um, I was drafted in 2009 by the Los Angeles Angels in the 23rd round, and I was the 7th and 11th pick in the 2009 amateur draft. Um, I was drafted out of high school. I was cut two years in a row, my junior and my senior year of high school. So, you know, adversity and having people telling me something – I can't do, I'm used to it. Um, <laughs> that makes you know, two of us. After I got drafted, I was, excuse me? That makes two of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and after getting drafted, you know, playing in the, the Angels organization, it was great. It was cool. Um, I got to learn a lot from the game. Um, I had some great peers that I got to meet and learn from. Um, but, you know, with with the game of baseball, you're you're hired to get fired, mm-hmm. and my time my time was sooner than later, and um, I was cut in 2010 by the team out of uh, spring training. Um, to this day, I really don't know why or how it happened, um, but that's really what we're trying to get to the bottom of and trying to figure out today, and this is what I'm trying to bring to light for other players like myself in my situation. Because if I'm going through it, someone else is going through it. And you know something? When we met and and, and we talked, mm-hmm. okay, and I looked up some articles. I did my research, as your father employed, implored me to do, and my late father keep kept employing me to do. Do your research. Now, I have pulled up names such as Elston Howard, Roy Campanella, yes, sir. Clip Johnson, mm-hmm. Elrod Hendricks, and John Roseboro. Now, what do, those, what do those names have in common for those of you just uh, tuning us in this morning? Yeah, they're all catchers. Here's the twist. They're all black catchers, which identifies Jordan Drake. You want to talk about a rarity? at a position that is needed. Let me come to your dad, Earl, because Earl and I talked extensively about this. Earl, mm-hmm. you want to talk about yes, a position that is needed in Major League Baseball and mm-hmm. the lack of black catchers that have seen their way through MLB. And your son is sitting on sitting on this story. Well, not anymore because we're putting it out there. A- how right. rare is it, especially with the people that he met? And B, why do you think his time came, his time, his time ended entirely too soon? 
Well, uh, Mr. Snowman, I think you've uh, you said a mouthful with that. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, as far as uh, you know, MLB has an issue uh, with African American catchers. That's a fact. Okay, and it's been uh, proven. Last... <clears throat> Go ahead. And it's it's been proven. Yes, the last African American. We're not talking about Canadian born. We're not nope. talking about. Uh, another player born from another country. We're talking about an African American, a black ball player. Okay, the last African American ball player uh, that was born here in America was Charles Johnson. Mm-hmm. Okay, Charles Johnson was the first African American was the first player that the Florida Marlins ever drafted. Yep, that's first of all. Okay, uh, he went on to have an illustrious career, uh, one of the best defensive catchers uh, in all of baseball. Um, you know, he wasn't the greatest hitter, but he was the best, one of the best defensive catchers MLB has ever seen. And since he retired in 2005, um, we really haven't seen an African American catcher since. No. Okay. Now let me let me clarify something real quick. All right. There are there's there's an African American catcher in MLB. Uh, he plays for the Toronto um, Blue Jays. His name is Russell Martin. Russell Martin. Okay. And there's another African American catcher um, that recently um, came up to the bigs uh, in 2012. Um, what's his name again? Um, Bruce Bruce Maxwell. Bruce Maxwell. Yeah, Bruce Maxwell. Okay. Now. Bruce, uh, Mr. Uh, Russell Martin, he's an African-American, but he was born, uh, he's a Canadian. Mm-hmm. Okay? And now let's get, to, let's get to the real meat of this thing. Okay? In my opinion, and I've had a, quite a long time to really look at this thing for what it is. Okay? It's like a, a whitening or a lightning effect that's taking place in baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay? If you go back into the 1800s, the 1880s, <clears throat> excuse me, when first baseball first became a professional sport, there was a rule that's unwritten. It's called the gentleman's agreement. And that agreement basically says, in a nutshell, that no African-American or no black man is to play professional baseball. Wow. That's an that's a unwritten rule. You can look that up gentlemen's agreement in baseball and it will tell you just that so when we look at Jackie Robinson and what he accomplished with uh, in 1947 breaking the color barrier that's great that he was able to um, achieve that but what people fail to realize is Jackie Robinson wasn't the best player in the Negro League mm-hmm. okay there were other players such as Satchel Paige Satchel Paige Josh yep. Gibson and, and Josh and, Gibson and never saw a and minute. And Josh, here's what here's what I found in my research, which is incredible. Josh Gibson, who is regarded as mm-hmm. one of, if not the best catcher in baseball history, never played mm-hmm. a minute of Major League Baseball. Right. Not a pitch. Mr. Satchel Page was 56 years old when he won his first Rookie of the Year in the Major Leagues. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
people right. fail to realize that too. So with the game of baseball being, you know, like how my father is saying, how they have the gentleman's agreement, just think about all the great ball players who should have been in the Hall of Fame for Major League Baseball but never got the chance to play Major League Baseball. Josh Gibson and another thing I want to add to you, Snowman, is I don't – it's weird to me how when they were doing the Major League and the Negro League exhibition games mm-hmm. that the Negro Leagues were coming back to beat the Major League teams. Yeah. And right. it's weird how they stopped segregation. They started doing the segregation of baseball around that time when the Negro Leagues were beating the MLB. So right. now you, you, you end that exhibition game and you bring in Mr. Jackie Robinson to break the color barrier. Right. Right. Here's another... so that's, that's basically where it, yeah. that's where it starts. I mean, let's let's go back to 1947. Exactly. Because prior to, prior to that, African Americans, we basically had no face in the game of baseball. None. So here we are. We just um, celebrated uh, the 70th year anniversary of Mr. Mr. Um, Robinson breaking the um, color barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the game, if you look at the game right now. There is very, very, there's a very small representation of African Americans playing this game. Very small, you know, and that's a that's a huge, huge problem. And to to turn around and say that, oh, it's the lack of uh, because uh, parents in the African American community can't afford uh, the gloves, the bats, and and all the things that it takes, you know, for your kid to go out and to play this game. Well, I tend to differ with that. You know, I had two sons that played this sport, you know, and both of them were catchers. So position. It is. That the finances, it, it all depends on what the household is or, you know, but I, I really truly believe that if we were able, we can make a change in this situation. This whole thing can be changed. It's just that Major League Baseball has to step out of itself and stop, you know, sugarcoating everything, and address these issues for for the way they are. JD, you know, it's you... sad when it's sad that you go to. And, and let me say this real quick. Back in the eighties, and hopefully this can give your audience a little clarity. Okay. Okay. Back in the eighties, when we talk about um, um, Daryl Strawberry, yes, Doc, and 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 I'm used to names because. You know, they had a history, so to speak. They were inner city kids coming out of the inner city. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, 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 a guy was in Florida. He was from Florida, and Daryl Strawberry was from Los Angeles. From Los Angeles. You know, yes. So these are inner city kids. They're first-round babies in the 80s. Yep. Okay. Major League, Major League Baseball says, okay, we're going to – the teams that drafted them, okay, we drafted them first round, second round, or whatever – so they're bonus babies. So you're giving these guys all of this money, signing bonus this and that, and, you know, they necessarily didn't have the right people around them, so to speak, to yep. help them, you know, to this, at this next level. Money. Yeah, how to, how to manage their money and things of that sort. And then you add into the nightlife yes. after, game, after the games are over. So you, you started getting out, interacting in the clubs, the bars, or whatever, and everything that goes with that. So, and then, you know, back in the 80s, MLB was 
basically, you know, a drug infested league. Yep. You know, the whole cocaine era type of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so what they said was, okay, since we're having since, and I'm like I said, I'm only using these two figures just to prove my point. Right. Okay. Right. Um, they say, well, we're no longer now that they saw how their careers kind of, you know, they had a high and then they hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. So Major League Baseball says, okay, we're no longer going to draft or go looking in the inner cities. We're going to send our scouts to the foreign countries like the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and places like that where we can go down there and and we can scout players when they're 12 and 13 years old, draft them or whatever, keep them in a system, and then we'll bring them to the States after five or six years. Yep, We'll lie about their birth certificates and their ages. And um, and they will be the face of black people for the game of baseball. And that's what happened. It so they exactly spent the happened. last 25 or 30 years putting their money and resources in foreign countries versus turning around and putting that money here in the inner cities of the United States of America. Where uh, the game was made. Yeah. The game is supposed to be America's pastime, correct? But it, but it hasn't been well, why for is a it while. That, yes. So why is it that we are being excluded from this game? I'll give you another you know, example. The whole. Go ahead, sir. I'll give you another example of someone that was draft <laughs> of someone that was drafted out of, out of high school and I believe should still be playing, and he was a World Series MVP. Does anybody remember a fellow by the name of Jermaine Dye? Yep, sure do. Jermaine Dye. Jermaine Dye was the 2005 World Series MVP when he played with the Chicago White Sox. Three years later, four four years later, he got three years, after three more years, he got exiled. You talk about a popularity decreasing, and people who know me knows the first sport I ever fell in love with was baseball because of fellows like Doc Gooden, because of fellows like Daryl Strawberry, because of fellows, and this is one of Jordan's favorite players, and I think y'all, both of y'all know this name, I believe his name to be Ken Griffey Jr. Without question. Thank you. The kid. And I'll give you a couple. I'll give you a couple more. One of my favorite sluggers of all time played 16 years on the South Side, Mr. Frank Thomas. Big hurt. Big hurt. The impact that black baseball yeah. players have had on Major League Baseball has been diminished. That's all I can say. Yeah, you can yeah. give them a spot in the Hall of Fame, but do they really outline their entire careers? Because remember. Thomas hit over 500 home runs. Mm-hmm. After he left mm-hmm. Chicago, yeah, yeah, he hit his 500th while I believe he was with the Toronto Blue Jays, and he hit it in Minnesota. Yep. So while we're talking about baseball players being being exiled and excluded, as Earl said best, how about we touch the point with managers? And the first man, the first black manager that I remember, that had two shots with the same team, won two World Series with them. Y'all remember this name, Cito Gaston. 
Yes, sir. Toronto. He took them to two world championships. Three years later, he was gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know what? You know what's so he sad? Was did, he was going to get to Dusty Baker. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. They gave him the old hee-ho. You know? And, and what's so crazy, Snowman, is that, you know, this game means a lot to Jordan and to myself. And you to know? me. Um, I didn't I play played. baseball. But I made sure that my sons had the proper tools and the proper training. Yep. And, you know, to excel in this sport. Mm-hmm. You know, so when Jordan mentioned that he had gotten cut from his high school team, that was that was the first time, well, that wasn't the first time, but the politics of being black yep. and playing a sport that's dominated by predominantly Caucasian kids or, you know, other white kids, mm-hmm. you know, there, there has there was never a time from the time Jordan and his younger brothers started playing baseball, they were always the only two African-American kids. We can play in a tournament of 30 teams. Yep. Okay. We, they were always the only two black kids in the whole tournament. Am I right, Jordan? Yes, you are. Okay. Let me pose, and then, let me pose okay, a question. And, and then, okay. Let me pose a question to let me pose a question to Jordan, because JD, you okay. and I have had ample time to get to know each other and to and to talk to each other. When you were in 2010, mm-hmm. did it seem to you like the support and the chances just suddenly stopped? Your connection to the major leagues did, did it oh, yeah. seem like it just suddenly froze, and you Absolutely. were and you were pushed down. And the, the reason why, I, I, I felt I felt like this. Okay, Snowman. The people don't really know. I was drafted as a left fielder by oh. the Los Angeles Angels. But that wasn't your position. As we're talking. We're talking about. Go ahead. But that wasn't your position. Exactly. My position was catcher. Okay. So once I got released and I got cut from the Angels, I felt like my career was over for sure because I never got the full chance to excel or put all my effort into the real position that I tried playing when I was eight, six years old. I felt that they cut me because I didn't do what they wanted me to do. They didn't even give me a chance to play the real position that I was being groomed at doing or that I that Charles himself taught me how to play. When, See, that's another oh. thing. Let's, let's, let's put this out there too, Jordan. Uh, we, we reference Charles Johnson because Charles Johnson is our, our, our cousin of ours, okay? And uh, before Charles Johnson... There was another cousin who played Major League Baseball, and he was a catcher too. His name is Terry or Terrence McGriff. We call him T Mac. McGriff. He was drafted uh, in the eighth round, I think it was, by the Cincinnati Reds in, yep. I think, 1980 81 uh, to replace Johnny Bench. Okay? And then prior to him, his father, Roy McGriff, Sr. 
played in the Negro Leagues, and he was a catcher. Okay, so a, a catcher, the mentality, the mind, the the genetics, is here. Mm-hmm. It's in Jordan's bloodline. Okay, so why is it that if you got a history, I mean, you you look at the the other family members that has been involved in the game. Uh, got the Molinas. That's three generations of catchers right there. How about this last uh, you know? name, Alomar? Yeah, Alomar. Yes. Ripkins. Yes. Ripkins. Griffey. Yes. Yes. Griffey's. Yes. Um. Bandos. Bando. I, I can go. I can go. I can, the Seegers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Sweeney's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, man, I can go on for days, man. And, and, Anyways, keep going. And you mentioned <laughs> C- and you and you, and you mentioned Seeger, one in Seattle, one in Los Angeles. Right. Yeah. You right. know, you know, oh, you know what? You just gave me another. You just named gave me another great name, McGriff, the crime dog. McGriff. Uh, Fred yes, McGriff. Yes. And Fred McGriff is a distant cousin. To our cousin Terry McGriff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, 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 I mean, it, it, it's my thing is this. Hold on, hold on. My thing is this: for all the family members that we have named in the game of baseball, they're all letting them have passes. They're all letting them have slides. Yeah, they are. The cousin of so and so, the nephew of this person. The grandson of XYZ. My thing is this. I'm not looking for a handout. Thank I'm you. not looking for a pat on the back to go in and play the game of baseball. Only thing I'm looking for is a fair shot at the actual position that I was meant to play and to represent people who look like me because there isn't anybody that looks like me playing the position or playing the game. You know, Earl. You and the ones that are playing, go ahead. Finish, Jordan. Go ahead and finish, Jordan. No, no, no. And the ones that are playing the game, I'm just going to be real. And if they have a problem with me saying this, so be it. But they're selling out. I'm not even. Every single one of them is selling out. Because what what are they doing to get people like me or other people like us onto the field? Nothing. They're thinking about themselves. They're already there. They're happy. They have their millions of dollars. Right. Okay? They Take have... all that away from them. Yep. They have nothing. Not a thing. Not a thing. Mm-hmm. And you know something? Okay. The last name and... McGriff was, was mentioned. All right? Here are, the, here are the bloodlines, and Earl already said this. I'm talking with Earl Drake and his son Jordan Drake who is going to be back in the majors. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. They're joining me on the hotline this morning. Uh, Terry McGriff was drafted um, in 87. Uh, well, his major league de- no, de- uh, debut. His major league debut was 80, okay. July, July 11th of 87. I got that wrong. My mistake. Right. Uh, he right. played for the Cincinnati Reds from 87 to 90, then split time with the Astros, uh, Marlins in 93, and the St. Louis Cardinals in the strike-shortened year of 1994. Uh, Terry is the cousin of Fred, as Earl mentioned, and the uncle of one, oh, I don't know, what's his name? Charles Johnson. <laughs> right. And, and what's so crazy with that, uh, 
Charles Johnson Sr., which is Charles Jr.'s dad, mm-hmm. he was the coach at Westwood High School in Fort Pierce, Florida. Yeah. And at that time, he coached Terry McGriff while he was in high school. Okay. And then Charles came along and he coached Charles. Yep. Okay. And now both of those guys, they're World Series champions. Mm hmm. McGriff just got his, he just got his, uh, World Series ring with the, uh, Cincinnati Reds. I think it was, uh, last, uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So my thing is, is this. We understand the fact, like I I raised both my sons on the fact that in any job, you're hired to get fired. Mm -hmm. And in baseball, you're going to fail more than you succeed. True. Okay, we knew that going in. Mm -hmm. Okay? So my thing is, is this. I feel like Major League Baseball has been very hypocritical. Okay, and when I say that, that's because they have all of these initiatives that they're trying to put in place uh, with the RBI program and this and that and all of this and that. But every year, I'm sure since Jordan was drafted in 2009, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's been a trinkle or a sprinkle of African American players being drafted. Yeah. Okay. How many of those players actually stick? How many of those players go through? Um, the minor league system um, from eight, from bottom to the top, from single A to triple A. Very few. It's almost like it's almost like saying, okay, we're going to draft you for the sake of looking for the sake of stats and numbers. Yeah, we're going to draft you, but we're going to cut you. That's just like how they do it in the workplace for those minority incentives. You gotta have X, Y, Z amount of blacks or Mexicans working yep. at your place. Yep. That's exactly what Major League Baseball is doing. If it's less than six percent, right? There's right. less and, than six percent black people playing the game of baseball. There's and, more. There's more Chinese people, Oriental people, playing the game of baseball more than there are African Americans. And they and teams have to pay a fee to and teams have to pay a fee to even talk to them to get them right exactly right they have to pay a fee to right. talk to these Japanese and Chinese players. Um, I, I look. Let's just go ahead and call Major League Baseball out for its hypocrisy. I love watching baseball, but we got to stay truthful as well. That's what we do here on Snowman in the Morning. Um, the one right. the, the the one player that identify what Jordan just said for me about having more Oriental players in Major League Baseball. Anybody remember a fellow by the name of Hideo Nomo? Yep. 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 And, and, and and who came behind him? Ichiro. Hide- Ichiro. Hideko Matsui. Hide- Hideki Matsui. Uh, um, Kurt Suzuki. Right. You know, the right. White, the white and, Sox had hey, a player. A, you know what? Yeah, hey, check this out, Snowman. So how about when Jordan was like 10 years old? Were you, how old were you, Jordan? 10, 12? And um, we go to uh, – I think we just lost Jordan. Uh, we go to um, uh, we go to this – one second. Yeah, we go to this um, – we go to – at this time, Kurt Suzuki was a catcher at Cal State Fullerton. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and um, I take Jordan over there for a camp with um, the coach. And, and so Kurt, uh, Suzuki got a chance to work with Jordan a little bit. So my, thing, my point to this, Snowman, is that everybody in Southern California knew that this kid was a catcher. Right. And he was good. Right. Okay. And I'm not saying this because he's my son. I'm saying it because I've witnessed his play myself. Mm-hmm. I've sat in the stands with different scouts and college scouts. Everybody was wondering, who is this kid? He's lights out. You know? So all of that is great. But at the end of the day, my son is still unemployed. At the end of the day, where's his opportunity? The, the, the pink elephant in the room right now the big... is from 2010 till now. Yep. He's been unemployed. Okay. The pink uh, elephant. The let's pink, talk about the pink elephant about, in the room. Let's talk about the pink elephant ahead, in the room. The pink elephant. Okay, here, I'm sorry. Here we go. The pink elephant in the room. Where's his opportunity? Period. Right. If all these scouts are looking at Jordan, and they're wondering who he is, he gets drafted by the Angels. Mm-hmm. And has been unemployed for seven years because he got cut. Did he do something wrong? Okay. Well, according to Jordan, and I believe this to be true, they drafted him as a left fielder, but he didn't want to play left field. He wanted to play his natural position, which is catcher. That's that's crazy. That's like drafting. Let me throw a name out there. Okay. One of my favorite pitchers of all time is the great Nolan Ryan. That's like drafting Nolan Ryan yeah. to play first base. Right. Exactly. Okay. Right. Good point. That's that's like. Good point. Let me throw another one out there since we're talking about since we're talking about pitchers and we listen folks if y'all if if I'd have done the show down in Tennessee we'd be talking we'd have been talking baseball for about 4 hours right now but we only got two to work we only got two to work with and we're halfway through one that would be like asking Nolan Ryan one of the greatest pitchers of all time to play first base that would be like asking Bob get let me go there that would be asking Bob Gibson to switch with Tim McCarver Right. I right. like them apples. That will be asking one of my favorite left-handed pitchers of all time, Steve Carlton, to. Mm. <laughs> I touched him. Go play left field. It just man. doesn't make sense, no man. It but, doesn't make sense. Well, and the, the point I'm hammering home is that we, have, we have to bring it to life. You, you and, we and have then, to. And then let's let's take, let, let's touch on this, no man. Let's touch on this. Let's let's call a spade a spade. Okay. Go All away. Right. Now there there are very few African Americans in baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very few. Okay. And the one guy who was in baseball at that time, uh, and I'm not gonna call his name. I'll let your listening audience do their research. But the guy that was in office at that time told us that uh, Jordan didn't need to have an agent because he was only signing a minor league contract. Okay? What's wrong with that? And and, and, uh, the other thing to that is looking back on that, you know, and we, we took the man's word type of a thing, but at the same time, against my own better judgment as a father, my father always told me, you're doing something on a level like that, of course, you need some type of representation. Yep. But, you know, we knew of this guy that was the GM 
He's known um, our family since Jordan was born, even before Jordan was born. Okay? There's pictures of him at family gatherings, at some of our family gatherings, and Jordan is crawling under the floor, underneath the guy's chair. Okay? Mm-hmm. There has been times where um, this guy was, uh, he was uh, you know, over the organization, so to speak, and when he would come to our home, or when he would come to Texas, at that time we lived in Texas, um, he would come to our home, and he would stay at our home, you know, while he's out scouting the the team that was in Texas, their Frisco Rough Riders or whatever. But, yeah. Um, so he would come stay at our place, and so he would send uh, after coming and visit us, or whatever, whatever. He would once he got back to Los Angeles or whatever, he put a call in to his people. Now Jordan's in the maybe ninth or tenth grade, so he knows he's a catcher. Mm-hmm. All his life. Okay? So an opportunity came around. So when he got back to California or whatever, how about, I don't know what the rules are, but you send this, you send this guy equipment in the mail. Yeah. Boxes of equipment. And they're all, it's all catcher's equipment. Okay? Now fast forward, come 2009, uh, when he's the general manager, at that time he wasn't the general manager. He was over the in the minor leagues or whatever. Yeah. When he was doing those things and coming to visit, so he gets. So when he gets to become the GM, he finally, I guess the scouts come out and whatever, and they draft him or scout him. Well, they scout him as a catcher. They scout him as a catcher. He didn't his senior year. He didn't even catch. I mean, I'm sorry. He didn't even play the outfield. His entire senior year. So now you'd want, to, you'd want to draft him, but you draft him as a left fielder, but you know he's a catcher. They did that on purpose, in that's my a huge, opinion. That's a huge problem. And and the, the excuse that I got was, uh, well, not just myself, he gave it to Jordan, too. Um, the reason why they were not going to draft him as a catcher was because it was a waste of talent. Am I right, Jordan? A waste yes, of sir. talent? Absolutely. Yes. A waste of talent? Yes. Yes, because he was I too was fast. You got to understand, Jordan's a multi he's a multi-sport athlete. Track and field, football. Um if you put give him a lacrosse rack, racket in his hand, he can play lacrosse. He can play any sport you if you give him a ball, he can play it. And he play it very well. Okay? So my thing is is that but you're going to tell him that He's too. It's, it's a waste of talent. I would think you would want to have a catcher that was uh, uh, agile, talented, athletic. You know, quick, fast, steal bases, right? And who can also switch hit. A waste right. of a waste of talent. I am sitting here, speech. I'm hit, sitting here speechless right now, hearing right. that. That is. So how do you think we felt? That is incredibly stupid of them. Right. But you got to understand, this person's thinking, the way he drafted, I guess the, the formula that he used for drafting players was all based off of analytics. Oh. And I spoke to someone that's very reputable in the game of baseball, and he basically said the same thing. That's where they're going now. It's about analytics. It's not about the talent. 
what happened so to you tell drafting? Me. What what happened? You know what? When sabermetrics was actually introduced as a term, and mm-hmm. analytics was introduced as a term to me, I balk at those two. I balk at those two words because they don't exist to mm-hmm. me. If you're going to draft somebody, you draft them mm-hmm. on what you see them doing period right right you draft a player on what your instincts tell you after you see them play period Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is why so many players and let's take color out of the equation gentlemen we spoke about this when we were down in tennessee This is why so many players are drafted A, out of position, and B, have short major league careers, if at all, because Mm -hmm. it's based on numbers and not eyes. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. You got a point there, Snowman. It's based on numbers and not eyes. Right. You use now, your eyes if you to, were to go, scout if you everything. Were to, if you were to go to a game and you saw him, you saw Jordan play. All I would do is just sit there and watch and let you be the judge for yourself. I wouldn't even say a word. First thing probably come out of your mouth, Snowman. This guy is big league caliber right now. And that was the first right thing. Now, I, and that was the first thing I told you when I saw him warm up. Right. That was one of the first right. thing. I, that was one of the first things I told you. When I when I saw him warm up in one of the last right. games that we had um, down in Tennessee, Jordan Drake, Earl Drake, joining me here on Snowman in the Morning. We're getting ready to close this out here in just here in just a moment because I got more more stuff for you. But I want to thank these guys for uh, coming on and, and telling the story. And believe me, there will be a part two to this. We're just, <laughs> yes, sir. There will there will be a part two to this, and there will be an extended podcast of this. We're just coming up on time right now. Mm-hmm. You scout people based on what you see and not numbers. Judge the numbers right. when they start playing for your club. Mm-hmm. Judge right. the numbers. And and and, and, and real quick, uh, Snowman, in closing, because I know you're getting ready to wrap this thing up, let's, let's touch on the fact that when you get released and you find yourself trying to find uh, other avenues to play, okay? Um, so in Jordan's case, we hit the winter leagues, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the California winter league out in Palm Springs. Yeah. Um, that's number one. Now, mind you, I'm going to say it, and for those of you out there listening, I'm calling it for what it is, okay? Please do. It's a baseball Ponzi scheme, Okay. I'm going to say that one more time. It's a baseball Ponzi scheme. We all know what Mr. Madoff did. It's the same thing. It's just in baseball. And let me explain. You have 250, 300 kids or young men that are looking to take their careers to the next level. You have a group of individuals who wants to, who claim that they want to see these kids get a second shot that's why we're coming up and we're designing these winter leagues to give people a chance to get seen, be signed by an independent team or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's going to cost you $3,500 for the month. 
So you're going to go play over here or uh, in Palm Springs for 30 days, and your goal is to, you know, put up numbers. Well, they turn around and they, they announce that uh, on this particular day, we're going to have an MLB day. So the MLB scouts are actually coming out to scout and talk to the players, okay? Um, and then you also have players. Now, everybody's supposed to come in with a clean slate. Wrong. Wrong. Why is it that? Why is it? Why is it that when we're registering, we're we're finally getting onto the site, where where we've arrived, we're getting bags and stuff out of the car, and we're going in to you know check in. Well, why is it that we see four or five players sitting at tables signing contracts, signing contracts, and they haven't even played yet. They haven't even gotten their rooms yet. They in regular clothes. Yes. Anybody? Yes. Okay. Does now, the name LeBron? You got the you 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 go and you you play those three games. You, you play uh, for those thirty days over there. You're playing games every day. You're putting up numbers, and you're putting up pro numbers. You know, you're throwing base runners out. You're still in bases. You know, you're doing everything, man. You're batting over three hundred. And you still can't sign an independent contract. And but but mind you, you're just coming out of a, an affiliate program, a MLB affiliated program. So you would think um, once those uh, coaches and scouts that are there at those particular uh, winter leagues, they would you would think they would say, okay, well Drake, uh, he's here. He just come out of the Angels organization. Let's work with him while he's here for these 30 days. Yep. And let's find out what his deficiencies are so we can try to fast track him and get him back. You got players signing minor league or independent contracts that hadn't even gotten as far as Jordan had gotten. And as far as being drafted, playing in an affiliate organization with skills to match, but because for whatever reason, you got other players signing contracts that ain't played a game. <laughs> and then and then the other thing to that is when you when they sign after they sign out of the winter league mm-hmm. and when you go to find that they to look for them on that independent league roster, they're nowhere to be found. So Jordan, can you elaborate a little bit on how that works? Please do. When they sign This this will be yeah. our this will like be our final said. Father. This will be a final point to it's close things out, but there will be a second part yes. of this. Okay. Yes, this will be the final. This is to be the final, and it will be short. Um, like you already said, Father, it's a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. They have certain people in place that they want to sign just so they can save face for their company or for their league. Mm-hmm. Okay? They, all right. They may say that it may be a... Uh, 35 people or so, but that's not the truth. That's not the truth. That 35 people getting signed, that's not real. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, I got Hey, how do you play in a championship game? You, 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 you hit three triples, I think. Well, for that month, you're the triples, yeah, I had, you're the, yeah, triples, the triples champion. Yeah, you're the triples hitting um, champion. Go ahead, Jordan. I, I, let's just say this: people, whoever's listening, just go online. Type in Jordan Drake baseball. 
all my information, my stats, where I've played in these winter leagues, it's all there. Yeah, California, Arizona, uh, and Texas winter leagues. Look those up. You'll see and they're all Ponzi teams. So if there's any ball players who are thinking about going to these leagues, make sure you double check, triple check, quadruple check that this is something that you're okay with doing. Because from my experience and from what I've had on my resume, it still hasn't done anything for me. I'm looking at right. this right for now. For somebody that is trying to get into the game, do your workouts. Work out hard. Be in the gym every day. Hit every day. Make a video. Make a workout video, a highlight video, and put that online. You have a better chance of being signed doing that than spending $35,000 or $3,500 to go and play. That's how much I've almost pretty much spent. I've yeah. lost about $10,000, $20,000 worth of money playing in these leagues for the past seven years. Yes. So that's where we say it's a Ponzi scheme. You do. You get 300 players coming in, and they're all bringing in $3,500. Do the math. Yeah. And then you look at who's getting signed out of there, and you'll see it's just what we're saying it is. It's a Ponzi scheme. And nobody has been called. Nobody has called baseball independent or, or whatever. Nobody has brought this to the light. And I'm, as a, as a father, a very supportive father, I'm a little ticked off that this has gone on this long and no one has called this spade a spade. We're going to leave it here. Okay. We're going we're gonna to leave it here. And when we convene mm-hmm. again, and we're going to do this very soon, when I put both okay. parts together, we're going to pick up there in why they haven't called this for what it needs to be. His name is One Take. Jordan Drake and his father Earl Drake joining me on this special edition on this special edition of Snowman in the Morning for this special interview and I want to thank you both for allowing this to happen and folks we're putting it out there if you want to sponsor our podcast or our show drop an info drop an email to Snowman in the Morning at gmail Dot com. Thank you, gentlemen, very, very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Snowman. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.